Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth-building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought-provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Sheff. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. It's that time again. We are here to learn to earn. Another week is upon us. And I wanted to, first of all, I want to say thank you to those of you, all my listeners. And last week's show, we got a great response from last week's episode. A lot of good feedback from you out there, listeners. And I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out. Please keep that up. That lets me know, number one, that you're listening. And, and number two, that we're providing value to you. That's what it's all about. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already joined our Facebook group, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group to join our Facebook group. And I also want to thank those from the podcast who have joined us over at the uh, Coffee with the Cashflow Guys. As a reminder, that's Friday mornings at 9 o'clock. Friday mornings at 9 o'clock. And if you want to register for that, to take part in that, where you can interact with me live on video chat, uh, you can go to cashflowguys.com forward slash coffee. Uh, standard spelling, C-O-F-F-E-E. -E. When you register over there, that will allow you to get an access code, and I email that out usually on Thursday nights, the access code for the meeting room where we're going to meet, and we can get all your real estate questions answered then. Today, I've got something different, something we've never done before. You've, you should be excited. I did this for one of my mentoring groups. This is for our private mentoring group, and I one of the guys in the group had a problem where he saw an ad on Craigslist that was very specific about nothing creative, no seller financing, you know, he really wanted a straight cash deal. It was a for sale by owner. And the seller in this case happened to be very abrupt in how he was doing things. Not uncommon, you're right. We run into that quite a bit. A lot of our coaching clients and, and listeners, when you do reach out to us via the Ask Tyler link, you have questions. You, you're unclear on what's the right way to handle this? What's the wrong way to handle this? How do I, how can I do this better? How can I be more productive when I'm on the phone with my clients? So today, I'm going to talk about just that. I'm going to play you a call. It goes on about 17 minutes, and I won't play the whole thing. I'm going to play the parts that I think are important, and I'm going to kind of stop it along the way and give you a couple pointers. My goal here, folks, is to get you to understand that, number one, negotiations are by no means, they don't need to be a battle. It's not an arm wrestling match. And a lot of it comes down to building rapport. Now, you're going to see me, and or listen to me, actually, use several different techniques that we use on a regular basis when we're out in the field to win friends that influence people. Because at the end of the day, if people like us, they're more willing to do business with us. So that's kind of going to be the theme of this week's episode is negotiations practice. And to kind of give you a little bit of background on this one, the seller's basically overpriced by double. In other words, he's for sale by owner. He is a guy that's owned a property for a long time. He's not quite sure what you'll hear exactly how he arrived at his at his asking price, but he's just kind of swinging in the wind. 
in this case with multifamily, more often than not, we see that residential real estate agents usually wind up being the ones that are going to list or put on the market two to four unit properties. Well, the problem is, is that they don't teach you how to properly value these in real estate school, at least in most states, definitely not in Florida. Now, the only reason I've gotten good at it is I've been doing it for almost 18 years off and on. So I've bought, sold many multifamily properties and we use the income method because that's how the buyer should be making a decision. If folks, if you're buying income property and you're using comps to determine whether or not you have a, a good deal or not, that's not the right way to do things. You're going to wind up spending a lot more money on a property than what the deal could probably afford. So you want to want to put yourself in that position. Instead, use the income method. And we're going to talk more about the income method in another episode. But this week, I'm going to go ahead and uh, fire up this phone call. I hope you guys enjoy this. And I hope that you uh, get some good, solid information out of this and that you find this helpful. So here we go. Good afternoon, Mr. Dan. Hey, Dan, how are you? My name is Tyler. I'm calling about that uh, Carmel Road. I'm not sure that what that means. Exterior duplex? Yeah, Carmel Road extension. Oh, extension. Okay. Yeah. How can I help you? Well, can you tell me about that? Uh, I don't see any pictures in there. So is, is it is it in good yeah, shape? Yeah. It's a. Yeah. So I intentionally didn't put pictures just because we still have the tenants living there, um, and that type of thing. So yeah, it's a. Um, it's got vinyl exterior. We've owned it for about 20 years. Right. And we're selling it because we've uh, depreciated it out. Right. Uh, so we've got a long, long rental history. We've only used it as a rental other than the first basically six months when we lived in it. Um, and it's uh, the format is uh, side by side, two story built into a little bit of a slope. Okay. Uh, and there's two bedrooms up, one full bath up, kitchen, dinette and living room with fireplace. And then downstairs, there's a large bedroom and a half bath off of that. And then the back half is um, what I'd call a basement okay. or storage, but people have used it for all kinds of things. Kind so it's like about that. 1,500, roughly about 1,500 square feet per side. Okay. Um, so it's a big place. And we just recently leased, uh, just re-upped somebody uh in December or November, something like that, uh, at 895. Okay. The other side has a long-term tenant in it. Um, been there about seven years, and I think she's at around 850 or so at this point. 850, okay. Yep. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what's interesting is that the student in, that had called him before was given completely different numbers on the rents. Uh, rent rents totals were different. I find it interesting. The guy owns a property, giving two different results, and I don't know whether he forgot or got nervous or he decided that maybe I would catch on to the income method and want to make the rents a little higher than what they need to be. And and people ask me a lot that are new to real estate investing, you know, I, every place I go, the numbers that I get for the rents that the real estate agent tells me or the sellers tell me, is find out that those numbers aren't accurate. Well, yeah, I've I feel your pain. I go through this myself. I can tell you that in almost 18 years in the business, I have never once been provided factual information, 100% factual information when going through the due diligence process for the income method, finding out what the rents are, what's the vacancy loss. They always want to make things better than what they actually are. So a little bit of uh, value there for you folks. When you're doing these due diligence or you're hiring a real estate agent, 
you got to make sure that they're taking the time to verify these numbers are factual. And the first question that comes up is, how do you do that? Well, one of the ways you do that is you ask for what I call it the uh, T24 or the trailing 24, which is a 24-month rental history of the property. And then a lot of people say, well, that's great. Give me a spreadsheet. Tells me when they think they paid. But they can anybody can make a spreadsheet, and you're absolutely right. But anybody can't manufacture a bank account that should match the spreadsheet. And I go one step further and ask for their Schedule K, their K-1, for their tax returns to verify that everything lines up nice and neat the way it's supposed to. That's usually where you start finding a discrepancy. And more often than not, sellers will say, I'm not giving you my Schedule K or my K-1. Well, that's usually a red flag right there that if they're not going to give you all the documentation, they've probably got something to hide. So you probably can assume that the rent numbers are off. And that's a good place for time for you to stop and, and go ahead and reconsider those. So here we go back to the call. So kind of the the uh, gross rents that I put on the Craigslist ad uh, are kind of balanced between those two. Okay. I'm admittedly up. Charlotte is not my normal neck of the woods. I'm down here in Florida, but I, finding opportunities that make sense in Florida is getting almost impossible. So we're starting to branch out and I spent some time in in Charleston, South Carolina, and I love the Charlotte area. So I got some friends up in the Charlotte market. So starting to look Mm -hmm. for some opportunities, you know, maybe in your market and based on, since you've owned this a while, is this market rent or is it below market rent? What's your opinion on that? Uh, No, I'd say that's market rent for that neighborhood. There might be a little bit of upside if you went in and updated it more than we have. Um, so right now it still has uh, laminate uh, countertops, for example, uh, and doesn't have, um, what do they call it, uh, stainless steel appliances. So we didn't do those types of updates to okay. it. Um, I mean, it, it's decent looking inside, but it's definitely a little dated on the in the kitchen anyways. The okay. bathrooms and such don't really matter much. Um, but so there could be an upside potential there. But that particular area is a um, older neighborhood. Probably the homes were built in the 1980s-ish. Uh, and um, kind of what I noticed is the demand for kind of a single-family home, three-bedroom, two-bath, would be like twelve to 1300 Okay. Right? Duplex, you know, has obviously got a little bit of, depre- little bit of downside on that. Sure. Uh, just because you're side-by-side. Can you, um, I I look at everything by income method, so really, I don't care about comps because I've been doing this a while, <laughs> like you. Yeah. Uh, more looking yeah. at income and expenses. Any- yeah. Now, folks, I don't know if you noticed there, but I purposely structured it that way. I purposely said what I said because I want to give him credit for his knowledge. I want to subordinate. I want to step down below him, let him feel like he's in charge. Because if I said would have said that a different way, I could have very easily offended the seller. And that's obviously not going to work in my benefit. So instead, I do a little bit of a, of a confess and attack maneuver where I'll step back, let the seller feel as if they're in charge. Say, of course, you realize that, sir, don't you? And, and they, what are they going to do? Are they going to say no? Of course, they're not going to say no. So really what I'm starting to do in, during this process, you'll start to hear me do, is I'm starting to devalue the property over, over the course of this conversation to kind of get the seller amenable to being negotiable on terms because... When the student was on the phone with him earlier, I believe it was on Friday or something, the gentleman was not wanting to hear anything about negotiation, anything creative, nothing. He was very vanilla, very to the point. Uh, let's, you know, it's my way or the highway. 
So that's why I'm taking this approach. Now, granted, I'm cheating because I already knew a little bit of information going in. I wasn't flying blind. However, I would still use the same method really going in. I kind of test the water, stick your toe in, see how things are going. Bottom line, folks, is having these conversations with these sellers. It's all about building rapport. And you can't uh, throw your weight around and expect yourself to be building rapport at the same time. you got to be nice to people. You have to be kind. And you have to let them be in charge, let them feel like they're in charge. So here we go back to the call. Out of the ordinary now, I'm, if it was in my market, I could, I could pretty much guesstimate and be accurate, but I'm not familiar with your market. What do you? Yeah, uh, no. What should I allow for insurance up there for a year? Um, that's a good question. So I, I need to write those things down. So when I put in a comp rate um, on that ad, it was, it was based on um, our actual tax and actual fixed expense like insurance, right. but no um, mortgage expense. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I'm not worried about mortgage. So you can expense. kind of. Yeah, you can kind of figure it in that ballpark. So I think I think I estimated somewhere around five thousand all in, and that would include a little bit of uh, vacancy. Okay. In that. And what kind of vacancy percentage do you allow up there? I mean, down here in Florida, ten percent is considered conservative. Fifteen is considered more realistic. Yeah. No. I mean, my experience with this particular property. Uh, we will typically go uh, half a month. It just depends how much we've got to do to to flip it to get right. the house ready. So no, I'd say more of a five percent is very, very realistic okay. in the Charlotte market, um, because it's so busy and because it's um, still growing. Okay. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's very important when you are analyzing a deal for for or working on on analyzing a property for income when you're for a rental property you have to determine what the expenses are going to be what the income is and what the expenses are these are very important figures and these are things that you can't guess ladies and gentlemen if you guess you're really kind of playing russian roulette with your own checkbook so don't guess ask the seller but then what i always say is trust but verify so ask the seller what their expenses are and a lot of times they'll say well that's none of your business i've had them say that and unfortunately, it is our business, and I have nicely explained to them that I understand your concern for sharing this information, Mr. Seller. However, how we value a property, as I'm sure you know, being an experienced investor, see how I'm playing into their ego, especially works well with men, because men can be ignorant egomaniacs. I are one sometimes. But having that conversation with them to get these expenses out of them so that you can begin to decide how this property is going to underwrite out, how it's going to lay out. Is it going to make sense for you or not? So listen in as he keeps going. Um, so Charlotte, you know, if you get closer to town, because this is on the outer belt, um, they're still tearing down, you know, $300,000 homes and building $600, $700 homes. That's crazy, isn't it? And that's happening. Yeah, that's happening a lot in the, in the inner city area. Um, so out where we are, you know, everything's expanding past 485 and they're just building new McMansions and new, <laughs> new, uh, developments. Right. 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 Okay, cool. So this particular neighborhood was before that boom happened. It was, um, so you got more of an, like I'd say 80 style homes, Masonite, uh, not much brick in that area. You still have the, the wood siding on some of the homes, 
uh, like I said, with this one, it's it, we we originally had masonite. We vinyled it, uh, so it's a cream. It's a nice looking property from the street. Okay. Uh, you know, doesn't doesn't demand a lot of attention, but it doesn't. Nobody frowns when they look at it either. So, right. so kind um, of middle of the road. Yeah, like yeah, a, that's right. A B C class type property. That makes sense. I'm showing. Yeah, if you're looking for yourself, yeah, I mean, but you know, it's attractive to the renters. Being it works really well for. Um, kind of young, really young families, meaning that they have infant to like two or three. Right. Uh, not so much for uh, families with young toddler or kids that run outside because the backyard is on a slope. So. And folks, right there, I must stop right there just for a second. You hear him start to talk about, he's actually talking himself down at this point. He's starting to talk a little bit about the ne- positives, but also about the negatives now. I'm going to skip over one section. I'm not going to play. Um, he made some statements in there that I'm not going to put out on the show, but uh, I'm going to skip over those here, and, and then we'll go ahead and continue. A lot of people run their, have run their business out of it because that basement is so big. Uh, like they, if, they have, if they want an in-house office, there's plenty of room to do that. Right. I noticed you're, you, you had said uh, no owner financing trades or other creative arrangements, all that. Yep. Any particular reason? Are you just looking to cash out, pay your taxes, move on, or what are, yeah, what are your thoughts? I'm, no, I need to cash out so I can reinvest in 1031 into another property. All right, 1031. We've already got something identified that we want to pursue, and so we're going to use the cash out of this one to do that. Two things here, folks, that are important to mention. Number one, I purposely asked that question that way to gauge from them if they are taking the capital gains tax that they may be subject to into consideration. I use it as a qualifier question. Are you just looking to cash out, pay your taxes and move on? Now in the past, I used to say cash out. That's all I said was you're looking to cash out, move on. And one of the things I learned being a student of Larry Harbold is, and you guys will learn this. Those of you that are coming to the never step into a bank boot camp in February, you will learn these tactics. This is where I learned a lot of what you're hearing today on this call is by going attending these trainings with the, these older real estate investor trainers that have been doing this for a long time. These are timeless techniques that work over and over and over again. It's not so much what I say, it's kind of the way I say it as well. But it is a little bit of, of what I say, but obviously it's how I say it as well. That's very, very important. And you will hear him start to talk about he, that he's going to do a 1031 exchange. Okay, well, that's great. So then I can't get away with my capital gains excuse, and I can't scare the living bejesus out of him about having to pay capital gains tax. But 1031s are a challenge in themselves, especially if they're not done properly. Now, the regulations for a 1031 exchange are not very forgiving. You've got a designated property within a certain amount of time, and then you have to close on that property within a certain amount of time. He obviously is now has an extra. He's kind of let the cat out of the bag, so I've, I've kind of drawn it out of him. His own motivation. See, he was originally playing the seller. You know, I, I hear me roar. That was in the phone call with the student from Friday, but now he's changed his tune a little bit. We're going to have a dialogue about the 1031 exchange. I'm detecting. I'm now smelling blood in the water. If I'm a shark, I'm smelling blood in the water. I see this guy needs to liquidate this property. If he can't, then he's going to mess up his 1031, especially he may be under contract on the other property. We don't know, but we're going to dig a little deeper here and see. At the end of the day, what I'm doing here through this whole phone call is if you notice and you go back and listen to this episode again, I'm controlling the conversation. He thinks he's in charge, but I'm actually controlling the conversation like the puppet master here. 
I'm taking the time to, and you hear me say, I'm asking tons of questions. And then when I ask my question, I don't say a word after that. I ask the question and I shut up and listen for the answer. That's critical. I have this happen all the time where I hear people, they ask a question, they get that part down, but then they start talking again. No, 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 no. Ask the question, wait for the answer and make sure that the other party is done, completely done talking before you ask another question. Because if you interrupt them, it makes them feel like you're not listening. So here we go. All right, cool. So you know, in anything longer, we're just going to end up, we're, like I said, we're almost fully depreciated on it. So it doesn't make sense for me to stay with it at all. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, everybody has a different thing. I'm, I'm a greedy bugger. I don't, I won't sell nothing. <laughs> I just keep. Yeah, playing. well, once your taxes, once your tax benefit runs out, that's when we've decided, you know, kind of we've run our course with that property. Sure. Because we got everything we can out of it. So if we can't get the depreciation, there's 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 a downside. To you that. know, it's amazing how many people don't even realize that depreciation is a thing that they could even take advantage yeah. of. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm looking so folks right there. Well, that's a good opportunity to talk about depreciation for a second. If you haven't heard of depreciation benefits in real estate, it's something you should look into. Go over to the IRS website, irs.gov. And look at look at depreciation benefits. They call it straight line depreciation. You can do uh, cost segregation methods. Get with your CPA. Ask your CPA to explain to you the benefits of depreciation for real estate. If you haven't learned about that before, that's a very powerful technique you can use to reduce your tax liability. And you can see this guy. It's to him. It's so powerful that if he can no longer depreciate the property, he doesn't even want it anymore. Even though he's cash flowing, he owns it free and clear. He's got no debt on it. He's making money every month. He doesn't care. He's not getting his tax advantages. He's done. He's going to go put his money into something else that he's going to get his tax benefits out of. So that's a very interesting statement. I wanted to point that out. And that I asked, well, I estimated expenses. And basically, I guess the difference between what you put down is a couple hundred bucks and I put down and I got management. I'm figuring uh, netting about 12 grand a year, give or tape, in about a four and a half cap. Does that seem about right? If you're adding a property manager on top of that? Yeah, because I'm here in Florida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because the 7% that I put on was assuming you'd take care of it yourself, no right. management fee, uh, no debt. Uh, so, I mean, management fee is going to take 30% right off the top. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a little more than I could swing. I, I don't believe, I'm not a big believer in paying cash for property these days. If I can use the bank's money, why not? So, oh, yeah. So, for Absolutely. me, I would. And here's a good example, folks. Now, he didn't allow management, and, and I see this happen all the time. Brokers do this, too. They always leave the management off. Oh, I assume that you're going to manage that 578-unit apartment building all by yourself, or you're going to manage that single-family house in five states away from you all by yourself, so we don't need to allow for management. I did it myself. Why wouldn't you? Folks, that's ridiculous. And even if you did manage it yourself, you're entitled to be paid for your time. You shouldn't have to volunteer to take care of your investment. So... Always build in property management. Always build in property management. Now, for me, I'm conservative. I don't like to wind up writing checks to my investments. I prefer to cash checks from my investments. So for me, I use 15% for property management. That's because I usually pay the property managers somewhere between 10 and 12%, but there's always little extra charges throughout the year. The phone rings in the middle of the weekend or something like that. they got to run out. These little add-on charges kind of add up over the course of the year. So I figure they add up to about 3 to 5% of the, of the income amount for the year. So I just figure 15% to be conservative. Again, 
I'm not trying to make the numbers work so they look good to me. I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure that I don't I'm not spending money uh, money going out the back door that I don't know what's going in that's going out. So that's how I do things. Other people say, "Oh, that's ridiculous. I can get a property manager for eight percent." Well, that's fine. Uh, and if that's a small property and the property manager is working for eight percent, um, you can keep them because I don't think I'd want a property manager that's willing to work for eight percent. That's just me. So think about that going in. You know, property management. These are the people that are babysitting your investment. You get what you pay for. So there you have it. I don't know anybody pays cash anymore. I'm actually a realtor down here in Florida, but I rarely have anybody pays cash anymore. But sometimes I do. Every once in a while, somebody does. But hey, you know, more power to yeah. them. Yeah. Well, we're. I mean, don't don't. I hope you didn't understand. I mean, we're fine with somebody financing with the bank. But me, that's cash anyways, right? It's just right. Just right. especially whether I'm getting cash in the hand. Versus having to not get all my money out of the property up front. I would be going in with a conventional mortgage, investor mortgage, uh, at eighty yeah. twenty. I'm, I'm, they're telling me between four and a half, five percent, thirty year AM. That's going to put me at about. If I put debt service in there, it's going to put me about. Well, it's kind of a losing day. I was hoping there was some room on the rent. Is that's part of the reason I was calling is. I'm losing money on it if I put debt service in there. That's why I was hoping I could get some some extra push on the rent. If there was room, I could throw a couple hundred bucks on top of the rent and make it work. What kind yeah. of is if the rent if I like if I did the kitchen because here's what I've done in the past where I've had situations where the deal is skinny or I'm going to lose money in the deal. I found that if I can do a, a kitchen renovation, sometimes I can get a healthy increase on the cash flow. So if I did like the granite countertops, that kind of thing, does the neighborhood support it? that type of thing or am I just kind of putting lipstick on a pig type thing? What do you think? No, I mean, I think it could. Um, and it's not a, um, there, there's definitely a ceiling in that neighborhood. Right. So in some places in Charlotte, I'd say, you know, 1500, 1600 for either side of that unit could wow. be possible. Nice. That, that wouldn't be possible where there. this property is located. Okay. Well, I'm, that's why I asked. So I don't think you'd be able to get as you'd be able to get some pop out of it. I'm certain of that because when we show it, when we have it open, you know, we get a lot of traffic through, and you can kind of tell if they're looking at stuff down the street or if they're looking at stuff outside the Beltline. Right. Because um, all the stuff outside the Beltline is brand new, all all uh, stone countertops, everything stainless steel, et cetera, et cetera, um, and but they're smaller than what we have there. So that's usually what people struggle with. So, so I think there's the ability to get the upside. Um, I don't know. Just, you just, you just have to work the numbers to see if you can sure. do it enough. Right. A lot of it's going to come down to the lender. Cause like a lot of the lenders these days, at least down here in Florida, and I'm going to have to change lenders. I'm, I'm stepping outside of my usual comfort zone, my usual lender where I know exactly where they are. But some of these, these folks up there in the Carolinas are telling me, uh, they want the debt coverage ratio at two or greater. And it's like, well, good gravy. I mean, <laughs> how the hell am I supposed to do that? Um, yeah. Because if I throw debt service on this thing, I'm losing money. And my other concern is, of course, appraisal, because these appraisers, at least down here in Florida, these appraisers are getting ridiculous with some of these appraisals. They're coming in way low. So I, I don't want to get into a situation, I'll be honest with you, where you know, an appraisal comes in at a hundred and forty, hundred and fifty thousand, and now I'm out the cost of an inspection and this, that, and the other. And obviously, I mean, you're not. Yeah. Yeah, I would doubt that, given the fact that they're going to appraise it on on rents as well. Um, well, I hope they so, don't. Actually, I would hope that I would want them to go off comps because if they go by rents, I'm screwed. I, yeah. I, I know I won't. Kind appraise. of. 
what, what I've seen it happen is both, both ways, particularly with a commercial property like that, with a residential rental is with a good, with a good person, they'll, they'll cut it both ways. And sometimes it pays, pays a benefit on the rents and sometimes it pays benefit off the comps. That's what I've experienced. Um, but you know, I I don't know. Like I said, because we've owned the home for 20 years, right. I've not had a reason to keep in touch with what the true market is. Right. I I know Charlotte is is a gold mine and still is. Right. Suffered the boom when everybody crashed. Sure. Bounced back with force compared to anywhere else in North Carolina. I mean, it is it is the gem that keeps growing. So, if if there's a market that's going to be able to hold that, it's going to be something like Charlotte. Right. If um, we just move two two hours away and we manage our own stuff, we don't like using property managers, so we're or we just want to get out of it. That's cool, and I understand. I'm not going to ask you to hold papering like that, but my biggest concern, as I said, is that I get into this adventure and then the bank's going to come back and and stick it to me. Do you have an appraiser? Well, actually, come to think of it, I'm, we're not even going to have a choice over who the appraiser is because federal no, the lending guidelines. Um, yeah. I'm going to need to make some phone calls because what I don't want to do, number one, is I don't want to take your property off the market while to just to find out that I'm going to have an appraisal issue. If this property was in Florida, giving the numbers alone what I would see, it would never make appraisal because of the in, not enough income. Um, yeah. I'm not familiar enough with Well, the, the and if you want to hold, I mean, so we've kind of thrown this, so I've kind of thrown this out on Craigslist just because my experience is it attracts investors. Sure. Um, if this property doesn't move in about two weeks, if I don't get somebody strong on the hook, right. I'm going to go ahead and go with a with a flat fee broker up here. Okay. And the first thing they'll do for us is is run comps on it. Right. Now it won't be a true appraisal comp, but it'll be you know like a professional like yourself who's doing it, really understands it and tells us whether the price is right. Right. So I just figured we bought it off. Of, we bought it from an owner. That I know there's a savings associated to that for both parties. Sure. So we thought we'd try it for a couple of weeks. And if not, then we'll we'll get somebody out there that'll take care of it and get it sold. Oh man! So there you go, folks. You kind of heard the transition here. How he's, how we've transitioned to where now we're talking on the same level. He's a great guy. We're having a good conversation. We're building rapport. He's basically admitted that he doesn't have a clue how he, why he priced it. So those of you that are out there looking in the market now. And I get a lot of these emails that coming from you, and I'm glad the guy that you guys are reaching out. But here's a perfect case of it, the sellers really don't know how to price it. Of course they don't. It's not like they can go to Kelly Blue Book and look up their house. It doesn't work that way. So when you're out there looking, and you're on Zillow, and you're on Trulia, and you're seeing these these single families or do multifamilies or gas station or whatever, understand that nine times out of ten. The people that are selling it, whether that be the agent or whatever, they don't really have a true indication of market value. The market value really comes down to, number one, what's the buyer willing to pay for it? That's a big difference right there. You know, if you've only got two buyers that are in the market that are looking at the property, it really comes down to an average of what those two buyers are willing to pay. And you could show me all the comparable sales you want, or you can show me all the income statements you want, or or what the property will do after you've played it in gold and, and, and paved the parking lot and, and diamonds. doesn't really matter. What it comes down to is that if Tyler doesn't write a check for it and I'm the only game in town, then it doesn't really have any value, at least to me. So just think about that going in. And I hope you found this episode useful. I hope you found this useful. Drop me an email. Go on the website. 
or email me directly, info at cashflowguys.com. Drop me an email. Let me know you found this episode helpful. If you guys want me to do more of these calls, if you find this beneficial to you, if you're learning from this, making you feel a little more comfortable, uh, removes a little bit of fear from the equation, then great. We'll do more of these calls and I'd be happy to do them for you and put them out every so often. And during the next episode, we're going to talk probably about the next few episodes. I'll start to bring up some ways that we can kind of use to, to have a conversation with the seller to start to peel back that onion a little bit and, and get that price down to where we need it. Now, in this case, we've got a seller that somewhat motivated. He's doing the 1031. He's designated another property, but I wouldn't say he's extremely motivated. I would give him about a 50, 50. And he's in a position where he said later in the call that, you know, if he had to, he'd just hang on to it again. Uh, but that's not necessarily going to be the case. I don't think, but here's a great example of one thing you could do in this case is now I've built rapport with him. If I call him back, every so often just to check in. Hey buddy, how you doing, man? What's going on? Had any luck with the property? Okay. Yeah. Just chit chat. How the family talk about the drive. Cause he's driving two hours to, to manage this property by himself. Cause he doesn't want to pay for a property manager. And these are pain points that if you're having these con- this, these conversations and you just kind of nonchalantly ask about these pain points, it's a great way to start to devalue it in the seller's mind, get them thinking, wow, if I could just, you know, Tyler was nice to me and he didn't tell me I was cheap. And think about it at no time during that phone call did I ever mention price. Never once did I mention price. Now the seller, based on the questions I was asking him and the statements that he was making, he started to devalue it himself. I didn't have to mention price. People don't understand this, but when I negotiate, very rarely do I throw out a price and I never, ever say what's your best bottom dollar. That's about the dumbest thing you could ever say. When you tell me that, I will usually raise the price on you. If you come to me and I'm selling something for $100,000 and you say, what's the best price you'll take? I fire back with 110, 115, 120. And they look at me like I'm cross-eyed. Don't do that. That's silly. But you can just keep asking questions. Be that professional information gatherer. That's what my mentor taught me, Jay Massey. Be that PIG. Learn what their pain is, identify their pain, and then provide an offer that solves that pain. That's how we do it. Because right now, if I wrote him an offer for full price, who knows, that may not solve his pain. Because if I said full price and I want to close in six months, that's not going to work for him because he's doing a 1031B exchange. So folks, it's not always about the price. It's about making the deal work. And the 1031B can present some challenges for the buyer as well. So Keep that in mind. We're always focused on what the other party is doing. And if the offer that we're bringing forth solves the needs of the other party, there's a pretty darn good chance it's going to get accepted. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up this week. Folks, I've told you that, uh, last week, I'm going to mention again, we are building out the coaching program for the next round of students. This is a group program. It's going to be 12 weeks. You're going to come out of there ready to jump into the marketplace and do battle. That's my goal. Uh, Jill and I sat down this weekend. We spent the entire weekend working on a outline. We've been working on that. Well, actually for more than about a, a couple of weeks now, but we've got it ref, uh, revised out. If you want to get on the phone, talk about that. That's fine. Go to uh, best way to do that. First of all, go through the coaching portal, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash coach, fill out the application there, either my, myself or one of the members on the team, We'll send you an email offering you to make an appointment with me, get on the phone, let's have a conversation. 
like to see a good amount of you in that group session. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Well, I don't think. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. Some of you I'm going to absolutely blow your minds. You come out of my program, you're not going to have any excuses of why you, why you can't succeed. I can assure you that. Because this is a very special program for very special people. So look forward to talking to you on some of that, about some of that this coming week and the week after. And as always, folks, get out there and take some action. I appreciate you spending your time with me today, Learning Darren. And we will catch up with you next week. Until next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.